I think a lot of that journey in my career has been around trying to figure that out in terms of like what is what is mine and what is my voice and what is kind of my unique leadership style and how do I feel comfortable, you know, with that, even though it might be different from everyone else's. Welcome to NPS I Love You, a podcast powered by Catalyst. I'm your host, Ben Wynn, and this show is all about awesome people, ideas, and stories, all with a customer success twist. On NPS I Love You, I talk to everyone from artists to scientists, CEOs to CSMs, and everyone in between to give you powerful insights that will help you in your career and in life. Sean Ma is the Vice President of Engineering at Catalyst and the former Vice President of Engineering at GitHub and SendGrid, where she was part of the leadership team that took them through IPO in 2017. In this episode, Shaw discusses misconceptions about engineers, the key to her career success, and advice for those early on in their careers today. But don't worry, and you can you can swear this isn't a child-friendly <laughs> okay. podcast if you choose. <laughs> no, sure. We all to know if you're. Uh, we'll see how riled up you like, get me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Perfect. No, to to actually start it off. Well, I didn't even ask you because we haven't chatted since the holidays. So, how was your holiday? How was your New Year? It was great. It was uh, really good to just kind of decompress. Um, as you know, I started at Catalyst on December 1st, so really had three very packed weeks leading up to the holidays. And uh, so I'm really glad for just taking a break, being able to decompress, kind of work through some of the information that I've gathered in my head and hit the ground running this year. So it has been great. Yeah, most of the people we hired before the break, it was like for a January start. But you were like, no, I'm going <laughs> to come in December 1st, absorb everything in three weeks, and then go from there. Yeah, I think it's really nice to just be able to kind of be in sponge mode, absorb a lot of the informations that are coming in, and then just have two weeks to like kind of like, you know, what comes to my mind, how am I processing that information, and then finally hit the ground running. So I love like just hitting the ground running during a new year. I feel like I can just get a lot done versus having to, you know, start and learning everything. Definitely. Yeah, I can, I can see that being good. We should give everyone a week off after <laughs> onboarding to just absorb what they've learned. But I mean, hey, that's something a lot of us don't take enough time to do anyways, is just sort of take a step back and reflect on what's happened in a week or the past month or that sort of thing. Yeah, for sure. Did you have any uh, New Year's resolutions coming into this week? Sure, yeah. So, of course, there's the obligatory ones like eating healthier and exercising more. Um, so on that note, I did order myself a Nordic track and I'm pretty excited about it um, when it gets here. Nice. And in addition to that, I think, you know, for me this year, my New Year's resolution is taking more risks and just, you know, giving myself permission to fail more. Mm. And I think uh, it's an interesting one because I, by nature, I, I feel like I'm more of a perfectionist. As an engineering leader, I definitely like to think about all the possibilities and, you know, two or three steps ahead. And I think because of that, whether it's personally or professionally, mm -hmm. I just feel too cautious. And so, like, you know, given a new job, um, especially that we're a fast-paced, you know, growth stage startup, I feel like it's, um, you know, it's probably healthy to balance out some of the cautious decision-making with, you know, healthy risks and calculated risks. Definitely. Uh, calculated is good. Uncalculated is, <laughs> is fun, can be fun and, and terrifying. Yes. 
I'm a little surprised to hear that you've you've had an amazing career, and usually people who do as much as you've done and the, the kind of things that you've done, they're kind of natural risk takers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I've always had a little bit of a closet envy of people who come from less traditional backgrounds. So you hear all these stories of like, hey, I traveled to you know this many countries, and I was a backpacker, and I did this and that, um, and then somehow I stumbled upon you know a career path in tech. I always feel like my career path has been you know a pretty straightforward. <laughs> story. You know, I went to engineering school. I went to MIT. I got my degrees. I started my career almost two decades ago at AOL, um, right after the AOL Time Warner acquisition. And, you know, have been doing development and managing teams, you know, since then. Um, And so from that perspective, it's always been a more traditional path for me. Interesting. You mentioned at the start that you thought it was a benefit to, to start at a big company before you jumped into startups. Is that advice that you generally would give to to engineers who are starting out or just people in general, maybe who are starting out to go big first before they jump into the, the risky nuts world of, of startups? Or do you think it's a, more of an individual by individual basis? Yeah, I think it's really important to just keep an open mind and explore your options earlier in your career. You know, I think ask a lot of questions, interview a lot of people, talk to people from different different career trajectories or on different um, career disciplines, um, and just, you know, get more information, right? Try out different things. And I think one of the things that, you know, I, and I, I certainly felt like I've learned some of this the hard way is that, you know, early in your career, especially for people who are, you know, slightly more introverted or kind of coming up like a more traditional engineering path, you know, I always felt like I, I was afraid to make mistakes or ask for help or, you know, like, you know, with imposter syndrome, I was, you know, kind of scared to be like, oh, if I, you know, raise my hand and asked about this, is that going to come across like looking really dumb? Um, and I think as I reflect back to kind of what I would have done differently, right, kind of uh, going back to this more, taking a little bit more risk. But I think in general, like I found a lot of just really kind, um, good humans in my career. And I think, um, you know, in general, like the majority of the people that you're going to meet in your career, they're willing to help. They want to kind of they want to see you succeed. They want to be able to be part of, you know, your career journey. And I think um, a lot of people are just open to kind of helping if you know the right questions to ask or if you establish the right relationships. And so I think, you know, earlier in the career, like keep an open mind, right? Like keep your options broad. The world is your canvas. It's not painted yet. And so explore different options, try out different things before you kind of start going down a very set path that's predefined for you. Definitely. I think those are great points. And I think, like you said, the relationships really matter. And I feel like the a big company can be the best place for you if you have the right manager and a startup can be the worst place for you if you have the wrong manager and people around you. So I think, like you said, getting to know people really well and trying different things and finding your people and finding kind of where you have that fit and that support is the most important thing. Very cool. And I think that applies to engineers and customer success and sales and literally anybody. Yeah, everybody. Yeah. And I'm excited to ask you a few more questions about engineering because it's a world that has, despite having a brother who is an engineer, I have, maybe I've intentionally been keeping it a foreign world to me, but kind of bridging the gap from CS to engineering. What are some ways that CS can be helpful to engineering? Yeah, lots of ways, actually. So I think of CS as the voice of the customer, 
And so I think it's very good for engineering leaders and CS leaders or just teams to collaborate to kind of get a good feel for like, hey, are we building the right product? Is this useful for you? What are our customers saying, right? What are some of the feature requests? Um, so I remember we just talked to Sydney this morning, for example, and we have this um, notes template around like feature requests, right? And so, uh, uh, you know, I, I see that as a very good indicator of like, hey, are there certain themes that we're hearing from our customers or certain things that we just don't have? that are not the most productive you know, for them when they're trying to use our tool, right? What, what are they struggling with? And so I think a lot of those signals are really good in an engineering product development environment where we get that immediate feedback from our customer success team to say like, hey, I'm starting to hear a lot from our customers about what they think about this feature, good or bad, right? Sometimes it could just be, hey, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people are raving about this new feature that we released and, you know, we're seeing like... Just as important to share that too, right? Exactly, right? Like we're seeing a lot of really good usage and other times it could just be like, hey, you know, we're hearing a general theme of like, you know, people are kind of confused by this thing a little bit. The workflow is not necessarily self-explanatory. And I think those are all really useful feedback to kind of just hear that. And also like, you know, if we interact too, from the engineering product side, right, with customers, sometimes it could just be a soundbite or, you know, a, a biased opinion. But having that aggregate data from our customer success team to say like, hey, we've now heard from multiple people about a you know, specific theme or a thing, you know, I think it's really um, insightful really helpful. And I think additionally, in our uh, product roadmap session this morning, I talked about my personal experiences with some of uh, my best colleagues who are part of CS, right? And so, you know, I know a lot of times, right, in a fast-growing, fast-paced, you know, SaaS startup, you can't avoid production incidents, right? Like, just look at what happened to, you know, Slack (laughs) earlier this week, right? It happens to the best of us. And and so I, I think we lean a lot on our customer success teams with those established customer rapport and relationships to also help clearly you know explain to our customers what's going on in a calming and transparent manner right. um, to help smooth some of these production incidents over for us so we really appreciate that i love that point as well i feel, feel like that's an under talked about or underappreciated kind of aspect of on both sides right when something like that not to harp on slack we love their team we love their product <laughs> obviously but, you know, a lot of people on Twitter were saying, well, you know, kudos to their CS team and kudos to their engineering team. Like, mm-hmm. we can only imagine how hard it's got to be to wake up on, you know, January 4th or whatever it was, first day of the new year back at work to have, you know, something crash and it's an all hands on deck kind of situation. And it's got to be a whole team effort if you're going to keep the customer and make the fix and test the fix and all that kind of stuff. Everyone's got to work really closely together. Yep, Absolutely. You talked about uh, Silicon Valley before, which doesn't help with this next question. <laughs> What's one misconception about engineers that you think non-engineers should be aware of? Uh, so along the lines of this um, kind of Hollywood stereotypes, right? I think one of the misconceptions is that I think of engineering as the ultimate team support, right? You need like collaboration. You need to work as a team. You know, very rarely like do modern day projects, right? Even even the smallest startups, right? Like even at the co-founder level, you're collaborating with someone. You're bouncing ideas. You're kind of feeding off of each other, right? From a creativity perspective. And I think, you know, from, from my perspective, engineering is that ultimate team sport where you're leaning on your teammates, you're doing code reviews, you're talking about ideas, you're thinking through architecture, you're doing, you know, whiteboarding or screen sharing or pairing from a coding perspective. The misconception for a lot of people have is that when they think about engineers, they think about this kind of, you know, introverted person who just doesn't talk to anybody and they solve the world's problems from, you know, kind of the basement. 
or their garage, right? And they, they all type like this, you know, right? You know, this person who's, you know, just genius and they're, they can solve everything just by themselves. And I think that's probably the biggest misperception um, is that think, you know, as, as you continue to think about building bigger, bigger things, right? It's rarely a one-person project. And that's why uh, open source projects, right, collaborating on a global level is such a, you know, incredibly powerful concept. Or even, you know, kind of teams figuring out how to deconstruct something that's, you know, big into, you know, incremental, implementable tasks on a daily basis and be able to, you know, report out on that progress and things like that. I think those are all just like really meaningful aspects um, of, of engineering and building something that's bigger than just what you can do on your own. I love that. And I think you, while you were speaking, it made me think of just that idea of, of something being open source comes from engineering, like just creating something and putting it out there to help others and for them to use comes from engineers. And it's actually people who generally aren't in engineering who are more protective of, well, this is mine and I'm, you know, you can't use it or you have to pay me for it or that sort of thing. I really liked something you said in a previous interview, because you've obviously done a number of interviews about your career and, you know, different things you've done. And one quote you said was that your career has peaks and valleys, but as long as you set a goal and you keep moving forward, it'll help ground you and motivate you when things are low. So how do you personally go about setting your goals and staying motivated? you know, every once in a while, take a step back and think about kind of what matters in the long run, right? And so I think, you know, given that this is, you know, the brand new start of a new year, this is a perfect opportunity to kind of think about like along the lines of New Year's resolutions, right? Like what I wanted last year, does that still apply this year? You know, um, and I tend to think about it in, you know, maybe three categories, right? Like what makes me happy, right? Or like what are some of the activities that I do that I really enjoy, that I, you know, have a lot of fun, you know, what, what is meaningful, you know, to me. And I think also seeing how that's shifted over time is really interesting. You know, maybe earlier in my career, it's it's more about, hey, you know, I just always want to get to the next level or I just want to, you know, kind of my career to progress. But now it's more of a balanced view in terms of like, how am I making impact and, you know, how am I influencing others? And, you know, um, and now that I have two kids, right, I have an eight-year-old daughter and a 10-year-old son, I'm always thinking about like, hey, am I spending enough time with them? And how am I, you know, influencing them as humans, right? Like, uh, am I providing the right frameworks and, you know, ways of thinking? Are they getting a good enough education? Do they have activities, friends, you know, from a social emotional perspective? Yeah. So like, as you think about over time, um, what gives you that meaning has definitely, you know, changed and shifted. And, you know, finally, I think the other thing is just, you know, what are you good at, right? And what are some of the strengths and skill sets you want to continue to grow in? Um, so for me, for example, one of the skills that I've been wanting to practices that again you know coming more from an you know engineer introverted you know background I don't consider myself um, a strong public speaker and so that's something that I've continued to kind of push myself to say like hey if there's an opportunity for a podcast with Ben like you know I'll take it um, because this is a good practice for me and so when you think about it from those three different categories or buckets um, then you kind of emerge with a more clarity in terms of you know what are some of the longer term goals that you'd like to set for yourself that align with kind of what makes you happy, um, what helps you grow, and, you know, what you feel is personally meaningful for you. I love that. Yeah, if you can check off all those three boxes, I think you're doing something right, <laughs> for sure. But I think it takes that time to, like we said before, to set aside time to reflect and really sit down and think about that. And I think, you know, we're always so focused on pushing forward, especially early in your career, right? It's always about what's coming next and looking ahead and trying to push as hard as you can. But I think the earlier you can start looking back, the faster you'll end up moving forward. Mm -hmm. 
if that makes sense. Uh, <laughs> you're right with kids. I mean, it adds a whole other new dimension. Not that my cat is any comparison, but so from the way you explain it, it sounds like that adds a whole other layer to, to think about. How are you currently striking that balance in terms of spending enough time with them, especially during the pandemic? And has the pandemic reached Boulder <laughs> or is it uh, high elevation above it? <laughs> Yeah, no, actually, I reached Colorado because we have world-renowned ski resorts. And so, um, mm-hmm. you know, early early on, when travel was more freely flowing, especially kind of about this time last year, that's like the best ski season, right? And so we get a lot of, you know, travelers who come into Colorado from like from European countries and, you know, Asian countries and things like that. So that's actually how the pandemic came into Colorado. And so, unfortunately, we haven't had a great <laughs> ski season um, this year and last year. But, you know, having said that, I still feel like, you know, in Boulder, we're fairly lucky in how um, kind of our, our community has responded uh, when it comes to like wearing masks. Um, so even when you go, you know, bicycling outside or when you just go running, you see people wearing masks, which is, you know, which is great. And, and everyone's been, you know, super aware Um the schools do a really good job. And actually, in fact, surprisingly enough, uh, my kids just went back to school full-time physically this week starting uh, yesterday. And so the schools have been doing a good job. There's HEPA filters, HEPA air filters for every classroom. They um, tend to kind of spend a lot of time outside when the weather is nice. They do that so. here too, but the... Uh... I don't know if there's a budget issue or something, but we our, our classrooms were all told to keep the windows open, to bundle up because windows are staying open through the winter because that's the ventilation. Oh, wow. <laughs> so not to knock Canada, but I think uh, our school system might need a little bit of improvement on that side of things. You're, you're staying in Boulder, obviously. Catalyst is technically based in New York, though we're, we're going a little more hybrid. But you've managed teams remotely for a long time. You'll be managing the Catalyst team remotely. We have some remote engineers as well. So what is the biggest piece of advice that you would give to people around managing teams remotely, especially if they're a first-time remote manager? I think the biggest advice I have around managing teams remotely is to be comfortable using technology and different medium and think about like what you're trying to communicate, who's the target audience and and kind of the size of the audience for which medium to use. Right. And so there are, all hands, more announcement type of meetings where it's more just kind of more of a download of information where you're trying to say like, hey, I'm trying to reach a lot of people. We're trying to get aligned. We're trying to get on the same page. And those can be, you know, kind of at the beginning of the year, here are our company OKRs and these are the metrics we have to go after. And let's, you know, make sure we're all like aligned towards the same things and the same goals and that we're all going after the same objectives, right? And so those type of meetings, I find that like recording and doing it over video is oftentimes um, the best form. And so once you have it recorded, you know, especially at company where there is more geographic distribution and different time zones, being able to just record some of this content and then make it available, then everyone within 24 hours can consume it on their own time, I think is uh, is crucial. And for things that are more discussion types, right, things like Q&As or ask me anything or, you know, discussions that you want to have with your team that, you know, warrants more synchronous meetings, we usually try to do... Um, two sets, one kind of in more like early morning U.S. time that covers kind of the European and U.S. East Coast and one kind of more towards like later in the afternoon um, U.S. time that kind of covers some of the, you know, Asia Pac um, and Australia regions. Um, And so that way we can still accommodate um, kind of 
different groups um, and get everyone together to have those type of discussions. And also, you know, written communications, I think is also uh, can be very useful. Mm-hmm. And so we've leveraged a lot of different things like, you know, uh, plugins into Slack, right, as a productivity tool um, to kind of just say like, hey, you know, let's run our standup, you know, async over Slack or let's run a poll and uh, like take a survey of like when people would like to talk about something or whether this warrants another meeting or not or whether we can make a decision over something that's a little bit more async. Being able to collaborate um, in a document like a Google Docs, kind of starting a doc, a shared doc for something that's more like, you know, work in progress, but then leveraging something like, you know, at GitHub, we used to, you know, obviously everything was GitHub, but like a post or kind of um, a wiki page to say like, hey, once we've you know, had enough collaboration on a Google Doc, we are now ready to publish kind of, you know, this is our goals or this is how we work as kind of a, you know, working agreement, you know, type of things, right, once it's ready to be published. So I think it's just being comfortable using all those different type of medium to um, accommodate like the asynchronicity and still make it a very productive environment for everybody. One thing I don't do that I might steal from that actually is this idea of when something is done, you publish it as something. Mm-hmm. I live in in Google Docs and all this stuff, but it makes it feel like it's a never-ending thing, right? It's, it, you know, if once it's live on the Catalyst blog or whatever it is that I'm writing, then, I mean, it's done. We can't change it. But mm-hmm. I still like that idea because there's a lot of projects where you know, there's a question about whether it's done or I'll just keep working on it in perpetuity. So I like that idea of, of having some finalization and, and having it, you know, in, in Notion or wherever you're going to yep. share it as a finalized document. Yeah, absolutely. And just one more thing to add around kind of the remote work. I think the other important thing to keep in mind is really having you know, boundaries and a good, you know, I think it's a healthy boundary between like, you know, working and personal space. So for example, carving out an area in your house that you go to, that's like a permanent spot from in terms of home office versus just like working from the couch or working from the bed. As I know, sometimes we all, you know, default to because it's kind of the the more natural setting, but, you know, kind of having that space and treating it more like a work environment and knowing that there are going to be time zone differences and you can't be expected to be available like 24 seven, because I know a lot of the, um, you know, work-life balance and fatigue and stress during the pandemic um, a lot of times came from like people saying, hey, I'm like working more hours than ever. Like I wake up in the morning and like, because I don't have the morning commute, I'm working. And then at night, you know, after my kids go to bed, you know, I'm working. Right. And so people are always, you know, like they're feeling like there's not that kind of boundary between kind of their personal space and kind of what you're doing at work. So I think, you know, one thing to keep in mind, you know, from a you know mental health perspective, it's good to kind of think about like, how do I carve out that that space for me so that I can actually shift context to say, okay, now I'm, you know, spending time unplugged, you know, with my family mode, or now I'm kind of in my work mode and in my professional environment. Definitely. It's important to have that for sure. I think we all fell into that trap at the start of the pandemic. If we weren't, for those of us who weren't used to working remotely and it was 24 seven from the couch without having showered or shaven <laughs> or anything like that, and you work for 14 hours, then you just crash but i think yeah hopefully people are in a better rhythm now for sure and if and i think you know i think it's definitely a good advice to carve out that space mentally and physically what has been the biggest challenge you've faced in your career and how did you overcome it the biggest challenge probably comes from the 
feeling comfortable with my leadership style, you know, getting my voice out there or even just having a, a voice or a personal brand, right? And so, you know, if they, you think about it from a, a diversity, equity, and inclusion perspective, you know, I'm female, I'm, you know, a minority, um, especially in the world of tech. And, you know, I think the higher from a career, you know, progression perspective you get, the less there are, you know, uh, when you're in the meeting or, you know, in, in a room full of people, there are less people that are, you know, that look like you, right, or come from similar backgrounds. And I think from that perspective, I struggle a lot with kind of like, you know, who am I? What kind of leader am I? You know, how do I find that authentic voice that still sounds sincere and that's me, but I don't have to, you know, look like a certain way or, you know, feel like a certain way because that's kind of what people perceive leaders to be. And I think a lot of that journey in my career has been around trying to figure that out in terms of like, what is what is mine and what is my voice and what is kind of my unique leadership style and how do I feel comfortable, you know, with that, even though it might be different from everyone else's, right? And so I think that's probably that is just learning a little bit more about myself every step of the way. That's phenomenal. I think it's it's so important. I mean, for a lot of reasons, a lot of reasons. But I think finding your personal voice and your personal style and being able to define it is probably one of the most powerful things anyone can do in their career. And yeah, like you said, especially for someone who looks different than everyone else in the room, to be able to own that and say that's okay. This is how I communicate and how I'm going to do it and, and stand that is like stand your your you know firm in that is extremely powerful. And yeah, I mean, I'd hope that we're getting away in tech from the uh, from where we used to be and from that classic. Well, this is how a boss acts, and he, acts well, he talks loudly, and he's tall, white, and bald, and you know that's that's what a boss is. I hope we're getting away from that. But you were there at the start of tech, like you were that was sort of when your your career began. So at big companies and small companies, so I can only imagine the kind of different environments that you've you've contended with throughout, and to come out, you know even more confident and and even more like owning what you're doing is phenomenal and really good advice. I'd actually be curious to dig a little bit bit more into that. How did you go about doing it? And um, what advice would you give to people who don't really know what their voice is yet? Or they feel like, you know, the other person in the room that doesn't quite fit in? What were some of the things that you did to define your voice and what your style was and and gain the confidence to, to own that? Some of it is just having a network of people that you can lean on who can be, you know, honest with you in terms of, you know, giving feedback. Sometimes it's finding an advocate in a workplace. So when you're saying like, hey, you know, I'm having a lot of trouble, like, getting my voice heard in this meeting, you have an advocate there that can say like, hey, you know, I'd like to hear Shaw's opinion about something just to kind of give you like, you know, some room to kind of get your opinions heard, especially when you don't have a loud voice um, to start out with. And sometimes it's about, you know, for me, it's it's thinking about like what some of the qualities that I've admired and, you know, kind of previous managers or leaders, you know, really thinking through kind of what I admired about them and seeing if that I can kind of integrate that in, in my personal way somehow, right? Like how do I, what, what did this manager do that made me feel like, you know, I've made an impact. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I felt really good about, you know, just working, you know, my, my ass off and, and getting something done, right? Like what, what did they say to me that really helped inspire me? And how do I, you know, say that in a, in a genuine way that kind of comes across, you know, from my voice and, and not their voice. Right. And so kind of thinking through some of those, qualities and and also you know the reverse applies too right you know we've all had like you know bad managers and so a lot of times it's kind of also like hey what did this person say or do that you know made me feel like 
you know, like, hey, what just happened there? Or like, how do I get back on track? Right? What, what did I actually do? What was my, I miss? And then I think from that perspective, you know, you think about like, okay, if I were in their shoes, what are some of the things that I could have done um, differently in this particular case? And you kind of learn from those experiences. Um, so I think, you know, it's definitely not like a one single answer um, to everything in, in terms of how to find that voice. And that's kind of why I feel like it's a journey. And I feel like even to this day, right, you know, I'm learning every day um, in terms of like, oh, I could have done that a little bit better, like maybe having an all hands meeting and saying like, oh, how could I have articulated that better to my team? Or like, oh, maybe I'll try a different medium. So now that, you know, there's like Jamboard sessions and right, like maybe I can try and instead of having, you know, everyone just shout out their answers and have the loudest voice in, in the room um, being heard. How do I, you know, now as a leader, accommodate different styles of communications, people who are more introverted and who are a little bit more visual or people who are more extroverted and kind of, you know, really um, is quick on their on, on their feet in terms of, you know, coming up with answers and things like that. And so just kind of keeping a lot of those experiences, you know, over like the entire career journey and kind of pulling on different things, um, I think has helped me find like, oh yeah, this is something I'm comfortable with. Or, you know, a lot of learning the hard way, right? Like, oh, like I totally fumbled at all hands. <laughs> and what could I do differently uh, learning from this experience that, you know, get me in a better spot, you know, next time, right? And so. I think those no, fantastic points. And I think that the, that attitude of, if you think back to something you did or said a year ago or even a month ago and you cringe, or you're just like, oh, I should have done it this way, or I should have said that. Or it's painful, but it's such a good sign because it shows that you've moved past there. Like you now have learned something, you recognize that it was wrong, you probably won't do that thing again. So, I mean, we all have those periodic flashbacks to things we did a week, a month, a year ago that we cringe about. But it's, uh, I think it's important to remember that it's a positive thing that you think that now because it means you've, you've moved past there and it's a sign that you're moving in the, the right direction towards kind of developing that, that voice for yourself for sure. I know we're, we're just about out of time, but I really want to ask you two more questions. One, not that you've not already dropped a ton of incredible career advice on this recording, but what is the most valuable career advice that you have ever received? Mm. Um, I think it's about uh, that you can learn from, you know, the good and the bad and you know, don't think of things as purely black and white, like sometimes the gray is good too. And so I think earlier in my career, I've always kind of taken more of a black and white approach to things like, you know, either like this person is really good or that person is not doing their job or, you know, right, something that's a little bit more extreme. But I think a lot of times there's, you know, as, as I've learned, you know, over the course of my career that, you know, there tend to be more gray than there are, you know, truly black and white things, right? There's a lot of circumstances. And when you kind of start Start building that empathy when you start, you know, putting yourself in other people's situations. You understand a lot of the context behind, you know, why somebody made a certain decision a certain way, or what are some of the circumstances that led them to react in a different situation, right? And so I think just, you know, keeping that in mind is that, you know, life is not always just black and white, and being able to deal with gray and uncertainty, right? You know, I think we've all learned a lot from 2020 as, you know, a year that, like, hey, anything, you know, can happen right like all the things that we've kind of built around us as our realities um, can be shaken up pretty quickly and so you know from that perspective it's it's good to think about like okay like even in times of uncertainty when I don't have all the facts and all the information given what I do know right um, what's the best decision that I can make for myself in that situation you know and feel good about that situation like hey you know I've made a decision I'd move forward instead of kind of you know dwelling on the uncertainty right at least you know I, I 
made a decision based on the best information I have at the time. Definitely. That's a great point. And, and yeah, definitely it can be difficult, but is I think it's an important lesson, a great piece of advice. And my last question for you, because I do want to end on a positive note and look <laughs> forward to this year, but what is the thing you are most looking forward to in 2021? And it can be, it can have nothing to do with Catalyst or it can have everything to do with Catalyst. I'll, I'll leave that in your, your court. Yeah, lots of things. Um, I think for one, just a sense of normalcy. <laughs> you know, I think there's a lot of things that you don't realize is so integrated into kind of the day-to-day until you don't have it anymore, right? Like kids going to school and, you know, hanging out with their peers or doing play dates, being able to not freak out when you when you walk into, you know, a crowded environment, right? Um, having that level of social interaction, being able to dine out at restaurants every once in a while, like, you know, spend some time outside of your house with your family, being able to travel again, right? Um, I think we all miss that, just, you know, kind of like, we all did great and we all spent a lot of time with our families over the holidays, but it really would have been nice to be sitting at a beach somewhere, <laughs> you know, sipping a margarita in hand, right? To kind of take you out of that that environment to kind of really decompress. So being able to travel again or, you know, even taking the kids, um, like, you know, we've always kind of wanted to take our kids on a round the world, you know, at least starting with Europe to kind of say like, hey, look at all these different cultures and people and people who are different from you and who have different perspectives, right? Um, so that, you know, they get that broader perspective in life, knowing that there is more to it than just Boulder, Colorado, right? And so I think a lot of that is what I'm really looking forward to in 2021 is just, you know, that all the little things that you kind of, you know, thought was normal and and that sense of normalcy that we didn't have in 2020. Well, if you need a babysitter to come with you on that Europe trip, just uh, shoot me a Slack (laughs) and I'll uh, I'll be right there. (laughs) Shaw, thank you so much for chatting with me today. It was awesome speaking with you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave us a review and share this podcast with a friend. If you want to learn more about Catalyst, visit catalyst.io. Until next week, I'm Ben Wynn, and this was NPS I Love You. P.S. I love you.